Well, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and I'll read you again the first seven verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So we meet uh, in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, ordinary people, a teenager, and her name is Mary, and a middle-aged woman named Elizabeth, who was a relative of hers, and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and extraordinary events happen. Their lives are pierced by the living God. And then we come to the second chapter of Luke, and we're told that in those days, in the days when it was happening, what we've read in chapter 1, then Caesar, in distant Rome, stirred up things and issued a decree. A decree, and it was read by a a herald, and he said, uh, this now uh, census is to be taken of the entire Roman world. So we live in a world, don't we, this, our little congregation, and we've fed into it our background and our sorrows and joys and plans. And uh, there are 7,000 million other people, and there are all the news then of militant Muslims destroying their fellow believers and Christians through the Middle East, refugees fleeing by the million from them, threats to the security of democracy, what horrors await us and others in the year to come, suicide killers, and other nations then, China growing in power and spreading its influence over the South China Seas and throughout Africa. Mammoth political figures, giant industrial complexes, resurgent religions, and then our hedonistic, pleasure-loving, violent Western world. And this is where God has put us, to live for him. In the kingdom of God. We are the 21st century Marys and Lizzies and Zechariahs. And there are these two extremes that are brought together by Luke. The uh, impotent and the mighty. And they're there in juxtaposition. There a child is born to Elizabeth. Mentioned in the last verse of chapter 1. And there's the mighty Caesar Augustus, named in the opening verse of, uh, of chapter 2. And uh, neither the lowly nor the mighty then function in a vacuum and do things by themselves, that they all live and move and have their being in our God. And Luke is saying something like this to Theophilus. He's writing this gospel to this Greek. Um, do you see how Christians view the times they live in? This is the intersection of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of men. And this is a period then when the old prophecies are being fulfilled. And Theophilus, we believe that the greatest 
empires in the world are subservient to the purposes of Almighty God. I want to tell you how incredible a God he is, Theophilus, because we see him ending the barrenness of a middle-aged uh, a woman. We had a letter from Korea, and I put it in our Tuesday letters about a 42-year-old doctor. And For years they'd been married, and she longed for children. And there, uh, two weeks ago, she had a little girl. And all the church just rejoiced at the birth of this baby. And then there's the mighty Caesar. And he summons a census. And so God uses that to fulfill his prophecy. He will have his son incarnated. He will have his son crucified and buried. He will have his son raised from the dead as well. So let's see the uh, actions of God then in uh, what he's done in in bringing Jesus into the world. And the first point I want to make is that God sovereignly ordained the time, the precise time when the baby was born. We're waiting in our family for Rodri and Sybil's baby. Uh, The baby is due on Thursday. Well, you know what it is, isn't it? The babies are due on Thursday. It may be a fortnight Thursday. It may be today that the baby will come. We don't know, do we? But God knows, and God has ordained the time of the birth of this child. So here's Augustus. So we go from uh, homing in on a baby being born in Bethlehem. We go to Rome, the center of the world, and we go to Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, sole ruler of the Roman world now after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered all rival claimants, And the last to be destroyed then was uh, Mark Antony. And you know him if you've done Julius Caesar in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar in school. He committed suicide after the defeat of his army at the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. So Augustus, he became the king. And he turned then the uh, Roman republic into the Roman Empire and he set himself up as the emperor, the head and proclaimed that he was now going to bring justice and peace to the whole world and that he was then um, a, a divine person that he was the son of a divine person, that he was the son of God and poets wrote about the new Augustan age and they told, they described Roman history, they rewrote it as a progress. It was getting greater and greater. And now it's reached its climax in the arrival of Augustus. He, they called him the savior of the world. He was its lord, its king. And people worshipped him in the eastern part. They called him God. And then there was this baby born in Bethlehem. And uh, he would soon be hailed the Son of God. And he would be called Savior and Lord. And uh, he brings justice. And he brings peace in our hearts and in our families and in our relationships. And uh, soon he is to stand before Augustus' representative uh, there in his land, Pontius Pilate. And there to talk together. The representative of the great king in the world and the representative of the king of heaven. So, um, 
he links the two by a census. And uh, that means that uh, Jesus is born in David's city, where David was king. He's determined uh, right through this gospel, Luke is, and through then his book of Acts, that uh, we, we earth the life and teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in history. The Son of God became incarnate, in the flesh. And it is true. And he died as the Redeemer on the cross of Calvary. And it's true, and he rose the third day, and it's true, and he ascended to heaven, and he lives, and where two or three gather together. Our Jesus is with us today. Like he's always here, and he's speaking to us, and he's teaching us, and not a cunningly devised fable. It is absolutely true. It's the great reality. People are reading their Sunday papers and they're playing some golf and they're washing their cars and they're thinking about the week ahead and all the transient things that will die and yes, eternal realities that are renewed in us week by week. So, um, he, Luke wants to uh, build a wall between the mystery religions in all their fantasy and the Greek gods and the Roman gods with all their fantasy and then this story. This story is not like them at all. Uh, this story is about uh, the, the, the light of the world that is beginning to shine. It is no um, symbolic fable. But it is a historic reality in space and time. You know, you're sitting on those wooden pews this morning. I went to an old Welsh carol service in Penrincoch on Thursday night. And, oh, boy, after two hours and 20 minutes, the pews seemed very, very hard. They did, there was no give in them at all. They were inflexible. Well, my friends, here is something that is, is very inflexible. It is the, the facts about what happened when Jesus came into the world. How he lived, what he said, what he achieved, his great signs, how he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. The reality of that and what it means to us who are living our lives and uh, uh, yes, we are a day near, a Sunday nearer our final day here. So, um, Luke wants us to know when the birth of Jesus Christ happened. It took place when Caesar Augustus called this census. And uh, when uh, Caesars uh, arranged censuses, they did so for two reasons. And the first was uh, for tax purposes, just like the government today. Um, they uh, wanted all the statistics of able-bodied men and what they were earning. They wanted to tax them. And the second reason why uh, they took a census of the emperor was to find out, of the empire, was to find out just how many men there were so that uh, they could uh, have men enlist in the army. They could uh, measure what a force of soldiers 
could be uh, gathered together if there was civil war or if the barbarians invaded the Roman Empire. So this was the time. It was not a propitious time for Jesus, for the Messiah to be born. Um, Because uh, half a millennium earlier, the Jews had returned to Jerusalem from their Babylonian exile and they regained some power. They clawed some authority and some power. They just gained a little bit more and more power. There was a revolution under the Maccabees uh, 300 years earlier, but they were a shadow of what they had been under David. And they were soon a petty client state of Rome. And God was rubbing their noses in this fact when a census went out with awkward demands that everyone return to the place in which they were born to register. Behind every power block, there is the living God before every action then which the United Nations takes or the European Commission takes or the Welsh Government takes or the local council takes. Behind it all, there is the living God. When um, uh, there's a vote at the university that says uh, uh, there shouldn't be Bibles automatically placed in every student's uh, uh, room, but they should uh, apply for them. Well, God is behind everything. The awkward things, the silly things that men do. Um, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. You remember what happened 150 years ago. Um, The river Astwith, after which Aberystwyth gets his name flowed out of the sea in the bay in Tanabulch. But they wanted to um, add uh, another stream of water to clear the entrance to the harbour all the year around. So they dug um, a canal from the entrance to the harbour right up to about 400 yards. You can see the dam that they built and uh, you can walk along the path there now up to that dam and look up the Estwith Valley. And uh, men changed the watercourse of the river Estwith. Men can change watercourses. The Yangtze River, the huge river that's been trapped and tamed and ruined. The Nile has been controlled by dams and hydroelectric schemes. Men can direct watercourses. God directs men. He directs the greatest kings in the world to fulfill his bidding. Spurgeon says, The Lord our God has a bit for the wildest war horse and a hook for the most terrible leviathan. Autocratic Caesars are but puppets moved with invisible strings, mere drudges to the king of kings. Your heart is in God's hands. God said, I'll have you come to Aberystwyth at Christmas time in 2015. I'll have you come to church on the Sunday before Christmas. And I'll have Jeff Thomas to speak to you about the power of God. And what God is able to do through the greatest men in the world. And so... 
we are here this morning listening to the word of God. The birth of Christ was a display of the sovereignty of God. The same God who is sovereign over our lives. He was sovereign over that age and he is sovereign over our age too. So we sang that hymn, My Times are in thy hands. And then because it's written by a Christian, he says, my God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. Now that's a motto verse for you for 2016. My times are in your hands. It's a quote from the Psalms, isn't it? That's to be our prayer, our avowal to God when our hearts break at the news that we've heard and we, we need to sit down for an hour just to get over the shock of it all. That time, my times are in thy hands. Let me sing. I don't want them to be in anyone else's hands. I want them to be in the Lord's hands. That's my first point. My second point then is that God providentially arranged the place of the birth. So the timing of the birth was when the decree went out. We're not sure exactly which decree to arrange a census it, it was. We know it was uh, 2015, perhaps 2018 years ago. And the second thing, he arranged the place of the birth. Joseph was a carpenter. You know, they didn't, uh, he worked six days a week. He didn't have uh, two weeks holiday a year and then uh, breaks at certain times in the year at all. And he lived in Nazareth. Nazareth is 100 miles. So you know the, um, the map of, uh, of Israel, don't you? You know, it's a sort of square map and then... Uh, there's a line that goes down the coast. It goes at an angle like that, and there's this little lump that goes out, and that's Mount Carmel, where Elijah and Elisha was. And you go across from Mount Carmel about 60 miles, and then you get to the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and you get to um, Nazareth. And then you go down, then down the Jordan, River. You see the map, you've got it in your mind, so you've seen it very often, the Bible uh, atlas pages, and you go down a hundred miles, and you get to Jerusalem, and about half an hour's walk, perhaps 45 minutes walk from Jerusalem, and you're in Bethlehem. It's, it's uh, a long journey. And God arranged the pregnancy of Mary nine months before the census. That was, that was tough, wasn't it? And you can see how she gets bigger and it's her first child and she's, uh, it's heavy and it's a, a, long way, a long way to walk. And uh, they don't know anyone there. He's got no family, no close family. But he's a righteous man, and righteous ma men know other righteous men. And he says, well, you know, there's some really wonderful people living there. Mary, don't worry. There's some wonderful people living there. There's Hannah, and there's Simeon. 
you know, you know of them, how people talk of them. They're there in the temple every day. That's only half an hour's walk away. And um, they'll have some room for us. We can stay with them. I'm sure we can stay with them. And there are others. The Lord will open a way for us. And he calmed her fears and they, off they went. Walking on the, on the back of a donkey. Walking down south a hundred miles. And when they got there, it wasn't like that. And he felt bad, like any husband would. There wasn't even room in a, in a hotel or a bed and breakfast for her to give birth to her firstborn baby. And the baby was a special baby, wasn't it? It was a unique baby. The angels had come and spoken to him and to her. And, and told them not to be afraid that this was, baby was to be great and to be the son of the highest. And, they very, and they've got to honor this, especially in the God whose father, the Holy Spirit, had begotten this baby. They both believed that now inside of her. And they, they've got to travel a hundred miles. And when they get there, there's no Simeon. Not in Bethlehem. There's no Anna in Bethlehem, no godly people, no hotel. The only place they can find is a, a stable, a sort of cave, unclean place where the animals are. Wasn't that strange that God did it like that? And, and, and God does it like that, you know, in life. We always exchange one group of problems for another group of problems. It's always the case. There's never this side of glory, this side of heaven, a place where there's a fullness of joy and peace and we have no, no troubles and no difficulties at all. Was that how our Lord Jesus lived his life? No, he didn't. He had what the authorized version calls the contradiction of sinners against himself. He feared God and so was not afraid of men and men were hostile to him because of that. And so it will be to everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus. Blessed are you when men revile you and curse you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what God says in his word. And so, at the beginning, when he arrives, no one wants to give accommodation to this child. I'm making heavy weather of this, but the point is important that uh, we groan at bad time, timing. And uh, we find clashes between our Christian convictions and what our job requires of us. And we see the hand of God in, in everything and we look to wisdom that God will help us. And sometimes there are arrow prayers as we are confronted with challenges and we have to speak kindly and wisely to people who speak to us. And then funny things happen. Um, 
We don't get the grades for the university we choose, but there's a place called Aberystwyth that we can't pronounce. And they'll accept our grades. And we come to Aberystwyth. And uh, when we get there, we, we, we meet some Christians. We share a room with them in Pantacali. And they're nice people. And there's a, something about them that we recognize. They have something that we don't have. And they say, uh, I'm going to church. Yes, we'll come with you. And so the chain reaction takes place. And one link and another. What we read, what we hear. And how God works in our hearts. And we can see why we didn't get that A star. And how we ended up in Aberystwyth and not in Bristol. And God was at work. God was at work. God, God works in a stable. For the great holy coming of his own son into the world. There was a group of plotters who once wanted to uh, kill the Apostle Paul. And they met together and they made vows that they wouldn't eat or drink until he was dead. They showed their knives to one another and they got ready. This little boy, a little Christian boy, he was the nephew of Paul. His mother was Paul's sister. And he heard it all. Like Jim in the barrel in Treasure Island. And he goes to, uh, to the apostle and he tells the apostle and the apostle says, go and, go and tell the um, the centurion in charge. And he tells the centurion, Sir, I've heard them. They want to kill my uncle Paul. They want to kill him. Can you do something? And he spoke with such earnestness that the centurion believed the boy and he took Paul away with an armed troop of a hundred men and the people who had promised they wouldn't eat or drink until he was dead. They either starved to death or they broke their vow. God preserved him through the testimony of a little boy being in this place at that time. You pray, little boys, little girls, old boys and old girls, you pray that you'll be in a place where people are talking and sitting in a barber shop and are really talking to the barber about Christ and Jesus coming and Christmas and that you would be given wise words and good words to say. God sovereignly, providentially in control. Mary and Joseph had never had a dilemma in their life. She was a young girl. He wasn't much older than her. They'd never faced a dilemma like that dilemma and God was all sufficient in, in helping them like for you. It was uncharted territory the uh, the, the postnatal depression, the handicapped child. It was, it was all new. And yet God helped you and kept you. And the caring for the one with dementia, it's all new. And, and God helps you day by day to, to do this. God helped Mary and, uh, and Joseph. So you needn't fret. Let's declare 2016 to be a fret-free year. That all the circumstances of our lives are going to be in the Lord's hands. The timing of events and the place of events. They're all, you can trust him. You can live with an undistracted 
mind. God's works of providence are, the Shorter Catechism definition, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures in all their actions. And knowing that, and appropriating it, and claiming it, and making it your own, day, day by day, that's the, that's the comfort, the bedrock of Christian comfort and, and, and peace. So we see God's timing in bringing them to Bethlehem, and then the place that God tested them early on. You test me when there's no way for you to stay overnight. When you have to give birth to a child, you and your husband, your firstborn, in a stable. You, you test me when things seem so absolutely inconvenient. And then lastly, God met all the needs of Christ's birth. We're told verse 7, Mary wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. (laughs) And her contraction started then as they're knocking on doors and they're asking people and they don't know. Every house is taken, every room, every, every bed is taken and she's got her contractions and she wants a private place doesn't she? For the birth of a baby. And they find a space. Maybe it was a cave or a crude barn or it was a a room attached to a house where the animals were kept. Spurgeon says the stall of the donkey was the only place where the child could be born. By hanging a curtain at its front and perhaps tethering the animal on the out aside to block the passage, the needed seclusion could be obtained. And here in the stable, the king of glory was born, and in the manger he was laid. So where um, you see vet's pictures, uh, veterinary documentaries of uh, helping Sheep to be born. And uh, calves to be born. In a cave like this. Christ was born. There. That place. And uh, she wrapped him in cloths and put him in an animal feeding trough. What did she need? What did she need? What, what do you think you need now, this week? I know you, you, want, you want lots of things. What do you need this week? What did Mary need? She needed three basic requirements. She needed a private place where she could give birth. She needed some cloths to wrap the baby in. And then she needed a place off the floor where she could put him down to sleep, where the rats couldn't get at him, and where she could just sit back and, exhausted, she could have a sleep herself. 
Three necessities, absolute, everyone necessary, and all were provided by God. The God of providence is in charge of our times. And he's committed to provide everything for all who fear him. All we have needed, thy hand has provided in 2015. And all that we will need, God's same hand will provide in 2016. That's the fundamental bedrock of Christian peace. We often say um, he doesn't say he will supply all we want. He doesn't say he'll supply all we want. We're not going to get all that we want for Christmas presents. Children, you know that. You're not going to get all you want. You're going to get wonderful gifts. But all you'll need, you're going to receive. And God is the best judge. God knows what what your needs are. And some of the things you think that you need... He, he knows you don't need them. Um, you need strength to live the Christian life. You need that. You need a heart full of love. You need energy to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You need courage to live a consistent, credible, godly life. All of us, those are basic essentials for being a Christian. And God can provide those things. And if you don't have them, it's because you haven't asked for them. You haven't asked urgently enough for them. Many desires are going to fail, and many hopes will be dashed, and sometimes our worst fears will be realized or surpassed. Mary looked in the cave, and there were the animals there. And sure are her contractions, and she's thinking, help, Lord, help me. How can I give birth to a baby here? But the child was healthy. No harm came to Mary. She could laugh about it in the the years to come and tell Jesus where he was born. And she was so glad that the other children were born at home. And... He could say to his brothers and sisters, I was born in a stable. We sometimes talk about God as if he was uh, reluctant to provide for his children. We talk, uh, parents talk about the needs. There's uh, shops that are open now, there were charity shops where uh, many of the things the parents have bought, now they've the children have grown up and they are handing them in. We're very glad of things like that, aren't they? Uh, Larry's given me a, a, a crib and a stand. It's for one of you, I suppose. She's given it back to me and I've got it and I can't remember who I'm to give it to. So I've got it if you can tell me who it's for. There are all these things and some of these prams are so expensive, aren't they? We don't need to have the latest model of all things We do need to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do need to make Jesus Christ real and vital. 
we do need to make them know they can trust in him in every circumstance. As, as we trust in him, that's the greatest gift that we can give to our children. I wish the whole church could tell Aberystwyth, uh, what a wonderful provision it is to have God as your Lord and Savior. That this God who is your Lord and Savior, he meets you day by day in, in your need and he helps you. And, uh, and we don't live for our children, do we? Mary didn't live for the five, four or five children that she had. She lived for God. And as the years go by, more and more, God becomes bigger and bigger to us. And we know very soon we're going to meet him and stand before him. And we want to live for him. And we want God to fill our lives with the love of God. If God is calling you in uh, uh, 2016 to do some work for him, he who calls you will provide for you. He will help you. He will sustain you. He will give you grace. Like he gave Mary and Joseph grace and protection for Jesus at this time. So... um, Let's have confidence in, in, in God for the year to come. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we ask Thee to watch over us now and bless us with uh, true trust in Thee, growing trust, uh, much thankfulness that all that we have needed, Your hand has supplied for 315 more days in the past year, and that all the the many days of the new year to come. You'll be with us and we'll have all that we'll need from thee, especially in new circumstances in uncharted territory. You'll be with us then. We pray that our children who are going through many challenges, we pray for them and our grandchildren that that they too will, will know that you're with them and that you will provide their needs and you will help them. Give us thankful hearts and help us to be cheerful when uh, you close some doors and when we don't have things that we long for. Help us to trust thee. And to, when, you say, when you say to us, what I'm doing you don't know now, but you will know one day Oh, help us, Heavenly Father, to trust Thee that You'll make it plain and that You'll help us to keep trusting until that great day comes. So, Lord, watch over us. Give us our heart's desires and purify and enrich those desires in serving Thee, our God. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.